0: I specialize in providing insights and solutions for crisis, continuity, and resilience across industries from real estate and healthcare to terrorism in the airline and transportation worlds. No matter what industry you're in, this podcast will provide you the tools to build resilience in your organization. Welcome back to another episode of the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. I am your host, Vanessa Matthews. And today I'm actually going to be talking about solutions to financial services risks, in 15 minutes, I'm going to be sharing quite a few links with you through today's conversation. In addition to that, in Asphalus News, you guys can recommend a guest on our podcast. You can download our five step crisis strategy that we've used with multiple clients across multiple verticals to solve multiple challenges and risks. And lastly, you can request Vanessa Matthews as a speaker. All of those links can be found for you in the show notes. In the Disaster Recovery Journal News, um, you can definitely subscribe to the journal. You can look on their website for upcoming events and register for future conferences on their website, and those links will be provided for you in the show notes. So today's topic is going to be about solutions to financial services risks in 15 minutes. And what kind of sparks me to have this um, conversation I was was presenting um, this past week in Greensboro, North Carolina for the North Carolina Association of Certified Public Accountants. And we we took a deep dive in risks from a financial perspective, a retail um, uh, standpoint, healthcare and government. And as I've been looking through my network, as well as working with some of our customers, we've started to grow more in the financial services space. So I thought it would be helpful for us to dive into a podcast where we're talking about what risks are we seeing that our customers might have, but also what risks have we seen through some recent uh, 2021 reports that have recently come out. So the first one that I definitely want to give a shout out to is the Institute for Crisis Management. They have an annual report that's done. And in the 2020 report that just came out in August of 21, um, they talked about the most Crisis prone industries since 2020. And guess what's on the top of the list? Banking and financial services. And so if you think about all of the capital that was deployed. Um, as a result of COVID-19 and how all of those dollars, those billions of dollars that our government was deploying, specifically from a U.S. perspective, all of those funds were deployed through banking and financial traditional systems into the community and and to support small businesses. Um, In addition to that, even in the financial services sector, how they interact with their customers, all of those things have changed as a result of COVID. People were not going in person to the bank, and some of the banks were not even open. So it's no surprise to me that not only financial services was on that list, but technology, healthcare, government agencies Um, manufacturing and food production and travel and and hospitality were the top six industries that were um, most crisis prone in 2020 from the pandemic. So today what I'd like to do is spend a little bit of time talking specifically about five Uh, business risks that we are seeing with our customers in in financial services. Um, So a part of this list is coming from things that we've specifically seen on our customers' um, risk reports and the things that they're focused on. And secondly, um, we gathered this research um, from an, an organization's report, BDO, from the United Kingdom, and its executive perspectives on top risks for 2021. And one of the first things that we've seen listed between our 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 clients, and and the research, our government public health policies have created risks for financial services institutions. And so if you think about policies that drive businesses to enforce social distancing, return to work policies, those things impact the performance of a business. And if you think about it, a business is likely the organization that's coming to the bank to, re- to request capital and resources to help them grow and so if you think about all of the policies and the mandates that have been put out in covid from multiple states multiple cities multiple counties can you imagine how many businesses that may have impacted their performance and then as a result that then impacts the banks and the financial services institutions ability to serve those clients therefore, they might have seen an impact to either their their, um, bottom line or their ability to support those clients over the past two years. The other thing that I thought was pretty interesting was that the unemployment government stimulus checks that were provided also um, impacted and restricted growth in financial services. So I thought that was also pretty interesting. The second risk that we've seen in financial services is really the response to the market and the economic c- conditions driven by the pandemic. Um, early on in in the pandemic, especially our clients and the retail sector, they were looking for data to understand what are the consumers doing, what are they thinking, what are they feeling, um, what you know what what age group is ready to come back into society what age group is looking to stay at home do people want to buy from home do people want to walk into a store do they want curbside delivery how do they want to act react and respond to or interact with the products and the services that we're providing and so those market conditions and the changes in consumer behaviors has a direct correlation and an impact to financial services institutions and if you think about it, even financial services institutions provide products and services. And so once again, how you all have, have changed your interactions directly affects these organizations. The third thing that I thought was pretty interesting from financial services was the adoption of technology. Um, if you think about AI, robotics, visual facial recognition, software, all of those things require you to have new skills. So if you are a financial services institution, you're, you're going to have to hire or recruit talent that may have those, those skills. Depending on where you're located and your market, you may be competing with that talent, or it may be hard for you to recruit them based upon the economy that you're in. But then secondly, If you're not hiring them, then you have to spend money to upskill them. And that is a cost that is seen as an expense on your balance sheet, right? And so they're having to think about how do we grow our business with the growth of technology with these varying risks? The other thing that's pretty interesting about financial services is if you are a financial services institution that has been a traditional brick and mortar organization and you're growing into a fintech organization where you're technology driven you're in direct competition with companies who are starting as digital companies because they're already there. <laughs> They'd have to grow into it. They started as a tech-based company. And so what we're seeing is a lot of financial services institutions are struggling with the competition in the market because you've got a younger workforce, they're more technology-driven, um, and it's hindering their ability to be able to catch up and work up to speed to get to the level that some of them are at. The other thing that's pretty interesting too, and it's not just seen in in financial services, but the adoption to upgrade the quality or the infrastructure of the technology in financial services. Many organizations are operating from legacy systems and it's outdated and it's not as um, supportive or helpful for where the world is going from a tech perspective. And so we're also seeing many organizations just just struggle with the initial investment to get their technology to a place where it is at, where, where it is competitive to keep them in the market and to keep them um, in a position to support their clients. The fourth thing that's pretty interesting in financial services is talent retention. And honestly, Talent retention is something we're seeing in every single industry. This is an employee market. But specifically, the ability to attract, recruit, retain, and hire, and keep quality talent impacts operational goals for businesses. If your talent is not on the same page as you, If you're not getting what you need, you're not able to produce and to execute no matter what business you are in. But we're specifically seeing that in the financial services space. In addition to that, we've also seen on some reports that they're they're experiencing a workforce that is more resistant to change. And so if if you look, especially if you're in, in, in financial services, if you look around the people that you work with, if you look at them from a generational perspective, from a um, socioeconomic perspective, a gender perspective, you might start to see some trends from the folks that you're working with. But if you think about when you're in an organization that's trying to focus on change and moving things forward, it's a hindrance to your growth if you have a workforce that may be resistant to that change. And then lastly, All of these things restricts companies from being able to meet their business models, their business objectives, and their goals. What I also share is the wealth gap. So although the the wealth gap is not a a specific risk for a financial services institution, depending on how you look at it, um, what we have seen from a financial services perspective in our world and in the economy is the wealth gap is significantly growing and it is separating the majority population from the minority and immigrant population. And we talked about the the wealth gap crisis on this um, podcast before, but for those of you who may not be aware, when when we say the wealth gap, what, what we mean by that is it's the difference in inequality and it's measured directly through income and through wealth, through groups of people. And those things happen as a result of society, historical events, policies, um, systems, and institutional forces and biases that have been in place for years. And the reason why this is a risk for every single person who may hear the sound of my voice is it is costing you money the more the wealth gap widens. Yes, you. You sitting at home on your couch, it's costing you money. You cannot have a resilient community if people don't have the financial means to recover. And if we're continually increasing the wealth gap, which means I'm not paying people fair, I'm not giving people a fair chance for employment, or I'm not creating a uh, system where we can recruit minority and immigrant talent in executive ranks so they can accumulate income and wealth, that's respectable for them to survive and to support their family, then you will never have a resilient community. And so it is the responsibility of all of us. It's the responsibility of me as a business owner. I have to make sure that we pay people, we pay them fairly, and that their pay is equitable. And that if someone pulls a report, we can give you the data to show you why this person was getting paid this amount based on the market and what the trends are. And so it's really, really important that we understand that because it's our job to support our companies when we're talking about risk, but I think people need to have a better understanding. When we talk about the wealth gap, it's the right thing to do, but in addition to that, it's all about the bottom line. And as an economy, we will continue to suffer if we don't figure out this issue. There's even some reports by by, by McKinsey and a few others that show in the next 30 years, if we don't get this right, communities like African-American wealth will be wiped out, like literally. So it is a state of an emergency. Um, So solutions. So what can you all do? So what I thought I'd share are a few things that we're seeing our customers do um, as they respond and as they evaluate these risks for their business. Number one, they are performing human resources audits to help mitigate risk to the business and the bottom line. They're looking at general compliance. They're looking at human resources training and uh, development. They are looking at um, the, the, the resources and the technology used by HR teams to ensure that whatever state you may be in, how effectively are you potentially operating? And if you're a nonprofit versus a government agency versus a private business, there are certain rules and regulations that you need to be aware of. So they're definitely doing that. Number two, they're also assessing compliance with policies and procedures across the board. I always say, if you can't see it, it's hard for you to solve for it. So being able to assess your policies and ensure, okay, if this is your policy, show me how you actually execute this policy. What does that look like? What does that documentation look like? And who is actually responsible for executing that? And those are some great conversations that are bringing a lot of awareness, but also more importantly, effective change to the organization's. Um, thirdly, they are identifying vulnerabilities that may be on their, techn- their technological network. I didn't even talk about cybersecurity. You guys know that's a huge risk, but many of them are taking a second look at their network to ensure they have awareness of their vulnerabilities and then specifically a plan of action to be able to manage that. They are also improving their risk reporting by quantifying their threats. Um, It's important to know how much is this risk? How much is this crisis costing me? Because once you know what the cost is, you can have a better conversation about, well, what am I willing to spend to invest it? If you go to a doctor and they tell you this is going to cost you your life then what you plan to invest to fix that problem is probably going to be something that you're willing to spend because you want to preserve what your life is. Your business is no different. We need to quantify these risks and be able to really put a number next to it. And lastly, they are spending a lot of time implementing and monitoring controls to reduce threats. Once we identify it, we have to ensure that we have a a person who's responsible, who's accountable, but then more importantly, take a second look at the controls that that we have in place and really evaluate, are, are they effective and are they working? So thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast, Solutions to Financial Services Risks in 15 Minutes. The links are available for you in the show notes, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Business Resilience Decoded podcast, brought to you by Asfalis Advisors and Disaster Recovery Journal. Make sure you check out the show notes for this episode to see all the upcoming events, programs, and ways we can support you. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a review, and share it with a friend. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.